You know, I heard someone say one time that they come from a family where gravy is considered a beverage. Does that, is that, is that your family? Yeah. We're going to be starting a series today entitled Dining with Jesus. How many likes to eat? Yeah. You know, uh, this particular family considers gravy a beverage. They obviously love to eat and they absolutely love, love, love gravy. I'm a big fan of gravy myself. I know we enjoy to eat. Some people, you've heard the saying, some people eat to live and others live to eat, right? Which one are you? Don't answer that. Yeah. Now, how many would consider yourself a foodie? A foodie is someone who loves to prepare and try out new recipes and types of food. Is that you? Are you a foodie? Yeah? Well, how come you haven't invited us over? I mean, Kelly and I are trying to figure this thing out. Yeah, no. Um, Good. So that's good. We love to eat. Food and fellowship were essential to the early church. Did you know that? It was essential. If we read in the book of Acts, chapter 2, this newly birthed church is being described uh, in, in five main activities that they focused on. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, one of them was enjoying meals together. Of all things that, that you can include, one of them was eating together. His says, Acts 2, 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There you go. They broke bread, and they ate together. I bet you they ate more than bread. Breaking bread means that you're actually enjoying food together. It wasn't just bread that they had. They were having all the kind of stuff. They would lay it out, and they would eat together and enjoy fellowship. You know, I'm so thankful that God has created so many different types of foods and spices and seasonings and ways to prepare food that it, it makes for such a wonderful variety of options for us to enjoy. Isn't it? I'm so glad I'm not a cow that all I eat is grass. Wouldn't that be boring? You just eat, all you eat is just one thing. <clears throat> we get to enjoy the bounties and the different flavors and the different cultures around the world. You know, growing up, we didn't eat a whole lot of Mexican food, but boy, the older we got, the more we ate Mexican food. And now, uh, you know, I love Mexican food, for example. You know, Chinese food and all the wonderful flavors that that brings, Thai food and, and all the Asian spices. There's so many wonderful, wonderful foods and flavors. Am I getting you guys hungry? Yeah, I bet I am. I'm also thankful that he's not just given us food, but he's given us one another to enjoy that food, that we can actually break bread together and fellowship over a meal. I hope that you guys, as you go out to eat today, I mean, don't just go out by yourself. Invite some friends along. Invite some people in the church to come and, and enjoy a meal together. If you're going to go out to eat, go out to eat with someone and, and enjoy, you know, Dutch treat. I mean, it's not like you're going to pay for their meal. Don't, don't get all, you know, cheap on me, all right? But, but let's go and have a good time together and break bread and get to know one another. In fact, we have some Life Together groups uh, that meet throughout the month, and many of them include as part of their time together eating. And uh, so I hope that you'll consider being part of these groups um, to grow in fellowship with one another. But besides consuming food, there's other things that we can also consume in our lives. We consume TV. We consume the news. We consume music. We consume video games. We also consume ideas. We consume goals. We consume dogmas and agendas. And the things that we consume will many times, if not always, consume us. Have you noticed that? We often hear things and circumstances and activities consuming our time, our, our thoughts, our lives. I'm just so consumed right now with these things that are going on in my life. You've probably said that before. You've probably thought that before. You've certainly heard that before. And the things that consume us will eventually point us in a particular direction and order our steps and also then determine our destinies. So put it another way, what you consume consumes you. Now, being consumed isn't a bad thing, by the way. It just depends on what is consuming us. It can take us in a good direction or it can take us in a bad direction. Proverbs 4, verses 18 and 19, describes it this way. It gives us the two different, really, paths to take. It says, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. That sounds like a pretty good path, doesn't it? But wait a minute. 
The way of the wicked or the path of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know what makes them stumble. How many has ever walked in a dark room and tried to figure out how to get from there to the, to the, to the other side, right? How many has ever hit your shin bones in different places or fallen? Yeah, that hurts, doesn't it? Thank God for the light that he's given us to walk in our journey, right? Man, I, I want to be, I, I want to have that morning sun shining on me and shining ever brighter till the full light of day, that path of righteousness. You know, there's a lot of options out there. There's a veritable smorgasbord of delicacies before us, a buffet as far as the eye can see of things that we can consume in our lives. But Psalm 34, 8 gives us the invitation and helps us narrow things down for us to to this one wise choice. And I love this scripture. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that He is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Blessed is the one who consumes Him. If you've ever been to a buffet, you'll recognize very quickly that they have 100 items and none of them taste very good. In fact, they all kind of taste the same. They just look different, but they really take... I got an amen corner right here. Jim's like, amen. You know, in those buffets, it's all about quantity, not quality. When it comes to places like that, and I'm, I'm kind of just kind of done with buffets, honestly, in those sort of places. Ten bucks and pony on up to the trough and eat all that you want. It just doesn't taste good, though. But that's not what you're going to experience with the Lord. You see, the Lord is good. What he offers is the best quality. And when you taste of the Lord, you'll discover very quickly that he is very good. Flavorful. Beautiful. In all that you can consume of him. You're never going to get tired. So that's going to be our theme over the next six weeks. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We're going to be dining with Jesus over the next six weeks. We're going to look at some extraordinary things that actually took place in the life and ministry of Jesus that involved or revolved around food and drink, him being involved in this activity. Do you know, if you read the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he's eaten a lot. He d yeah, he's eaten a lot. And we're going to see how these delicious, how, how delicious that these things are going to taste in our lives as we apply them to our lives today. So we're going to take these events that he's had in his ministry when he was eating and drinking, and let's see how we can apply them spiritually to our lives. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Let's see what this looks like today. This first one we're going to look at today is the wedding feast in uh, Cana. But first, I want us to sing a song together. It's going to be a song a cappella. It's a song that some of you know, uh, if you're my age or older, or maybe a little bit younger. Uh, if you don't know it, that's all right, but I need you to put your pins and stuff down because you're going to use your hands. Okay, this hand motion's here, okay? All right, uh, I'm going to just see if you guys can do the hand motions with me. I'm going to do the hand motions and you guys follow along, okay? It goes like this. I'm my beloved's and he is mine. His banner over me is love. That's it. Sing it again. I'm my beloved's and he is mine. His banner over me is love. Yeah, love. There you go. I'm my beloved's and he is mine. His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. Now here's the part that I like as well. He brings me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. He brings me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. He brings me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. How many remembers that song? Yeah? Yeah. I just was thinking about that song as we were, as I was pre pre preparing this message, and I thought, I like that part, he brings me to his banqueting table, you know? And, and, and so as we go through these next six weeks, we're going to enjoy this banqueting table that he has for us. Jesus enjoyed eating. And some of his greatest miracles and moments revolved around food. In fact, this very first his, the very first recorded miracle that Jesus did 
took place at a wedding feast, and it involved food and drink. So just as a backstory real quick, he had just called the first group or first part of his disciples to follow him about a week earlier, just a few days earlier. He was just coalescing his disciples. And on the heels of that, they were all invited, Jesus and the disciples that he had, and Jesus' mother Mary, were invited to a wedding celebration. And this is where we pick up our story today. Let's look at this in John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, on the third day, and the third day means three days after the first disciples were called, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples has also, has also been invited to the wedding. Now, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus responded, and this sounds kind of harsh, but it's really actually a, a, a respectful way that he, that he um, responded to his mother. He said, woman, or in this way, you can see it on the screen, it says, dear woman. So he said, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And then his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I love that too. It's like, yeah, whatever, just do whatever he says. Just don't listen to, just do whatever he says. Nothing like a, a, a mom who has some influence over his son, right? She knew who he was. Nearby stood six stone water jars. Now, use your imagination here because it was the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, and each held 20 to 30 gallons, so they weren't small containers. 20 or 30 gallons, those things were pretty good size. So there was, um, there was six of those stone water jars. And then so Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So the servants... Keep this in mind. The servants filled them to the brim. And then Jesus told the servants, now I want you to draw some out and take the water that has been turned into wine. And he did not realize when, where the, I'm sorry, let me try this again. Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. I, I missed a line there, sorry. Draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So, so keep in mind, here, here's the servants and they're scooping out this water that had been turned into wine, and they're taking it to the master of the banquet or the master of the feast. So then the servants took the, the, the water that had been turned into wine. They did so. They took it to the master of the banquet, and then the master of the banquet tasted the servants, uh, tasted uh, the water that had been turned into wine. The master of the banquet didn't realize where he had come from. Now, this isn't the groom, okay? This was the master of the banquet, different person. He didn't realize where he had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. So the servants knew that the water had been turned to wine. They, they, they saw the miracle take place. They filled it up with water and they drew out wine. Okay? Gave it to the master of the banquet. And then the master of the banquet called the bridegroom aside and said, come, come over here, come here. So man, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guest had too much to drink. But you've saved the best until now. Now, we don't see the response of the groom, but he probably went, whew, how did that happen, you know? Save my hiney from this, you know, embarrassing event. And then it says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs, or the first of the miracles, which revealed his glory. And based on that miracle... The disciples that he had chosen, the, the, the handful that he had at that point, he didn't have all 12 of his disciples, believed in him. So the disciples, based on that miracle, said, man, this guy's different. He's not just a good teacher. He's something more. Okay. So there's three things about this passage that I want us to look at this morning. That I want us to taste and see about today. There's three things that we can realize of the Lord's goodness in our lives and these are going to make more sense to you as we go along, but it's going to be the hour. He mentioned about the hour, the water, and then also the feast. We're going to look at those three things. Here we go. The first one is the hour. Now, if you remember a couple of months ago when we were the first week of the year, we had a week of fasting and prayer, and I went through the Canaanite, the Canaan wedding culture, the, the, uh, the process that, that the Canaanites had uh, in, in, uh, in their wedding structure. It wasn't just that they showed up one day and said, hey, we're going to get married and you guys can come along. It was a week-long festival, a week-long party. In that Galilean culture, it lasted seven days. There was this feasting and there was this drinking that was by all the wedding guests during this time. And in fact, it was the social event of that village. 
And so for whatever reason, this groom failed to plan appropriately for the number of guests. It was the groom's responsibility to prepare enough food and drink for the whole week. It was only at the beginning of the celebration, and they had already run out of wine. In this Galilean culture, now by the way, that particular culture was based on honor, shame. Honor, shame. So running out of wine at a wedding feast was a social disaster that would have brought shame on the groom and his family for years to come, and in fact, probably for his whole life. Oh, you're the guy that ran out of wine. I mean, you could be married 50 years, and somebody would still show up and say, I remember you. You ran out of wine. They just, it was, a, it was just that important. So by Jesus performing this miracle, he removed the potential shame that would have occurred and restored honor back to the embarrassed groom. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so stay with me. And while running out of refreshments at a party that we may host might not bring us this deep level of shame that this groom would have experienced, we still face deep and regrettable shame from our past and our present choices, don't we? And while we may be able to overcome not having enough bagel bites at our latest shindig, we cannot overcome in our own strength and ability the shame of sin that haunts us. We all have the best intentions. We want to be known to others as having it all together, planning our lives well, living our lives in such a way as to bring honor to our families and our heritage and our community and our church and to our Lord. But then temptations come, don't they? Circumstances confront us, don't they? And then we mess up. And we look around and realize that we've dug a hole too deep to get out of. We've made decisions that impact others around us and our very future. The more we press down on the accelerator to try to get out of the rut, the faster the tires of our life spin and the deeper the tires go and we get stuck. Some years ago, Kelly and I, I was driving the car, full disclosure, and we were heading down to Florida to visit a friend. Uh, some friends of ours, and I was coming off of the interstate going on to another interstate, and I noticed the traffic was backed up, up ahead, and I thought, well, I'm not going to get stuck in that, so smart me, I used the GPS and said, hey, there's an exit right here before the traffic gets stuck, so I'm going to get off that exit, and I found me a little, as far as the lines were concerned on the map, it looked like a road to get around it, and I had committed myself to a, a dirt path. And I didn't realize it. And it had just rained the day before. I think you see where this is going. And all I did was just one little oops of a turn. And, and I got stuck. We got stuck. I stuck the car in the rut on Kelly's side. And, and I'm thinking, okay, we can get out of this. And you know, man, I kept hitting that accelerator and just vzzz, vzzz, vzzz. The more I spun that accelerator, the more deeper and the more slanted we got. And so, you know, I'm trying to open up the door and get out, and it's hard to get out of a car that's kind of slanted, you know, but I made it out, and Kelly's over there, still bless her heart, stuck in there. <laughs> I'm throwing her some cookies or something to keep her happy, you know. And, and, and we didn't know where we were. We're in the middle of kind of this nowhere. It really was in the middle of nowhere few little houses here and there, but nobody was getting out to see if we needed any help, that's for sure. They were probably enjoying the, the entertainment. And we finally was able to call a tow truck. And it was on a Sunday, by the way. Sunday, late afternoon, everybody was shut down. You know, nobody's available. Well, we finally got somebody to come up and help us out, and praise God for that. Lesson learned, though. By the way, you guys, GPS is not all it's cracked up to be when it comes to those roads, all right? They're not all paved, okay? <laughs> uh, I'm so thankful, though, that Jesus cares about our shame. Jesus cares about your shame and my shame. We all have things that we're ashamed of that we've done, said, thought, been, acted out in whatever way. I'm so thank thankful that Jesus cares so much about us. He cares so much about your shame. Listen to me. He cares so much about 
your and my shame. That he went as far as to take that shame upon himself when he was hanging on the cross. When Jesus cried out on the cross, remember this phrase he called out, cried out and he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? You remember that? As you read it? Why would he say that? I mean, why would God forsake Jesus? Why did Jesus feel that way? Because it was at that very moment that your shame and my shame and all the shame and all the sins of all of mankind were placed upon Jesus Christ. And God in His holiness could not look upon the sin. And so He had to turn. As Jesus bore your sin and my sin, your shame and my shame upon the cross of Calvary. He took upon Himself my punishment. He took upon Himself my shame. He took upon Himself the price that I should have paid. It, he paid it. He paid it for you and He paid it for me. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Can you just give God praise for that this morning? Can you thank Jesus for that this morning? Do you realize what He's done for us this morning? The price that He's paid. We will for all of eternity thank Him. Don't ever take it for granted. Don't ever take it lightly. Don't ever give Him a patty cake on that one. Be so grateful that it changes the way that you live. Genesis 3.10, we hear Adam's answer to God when God was calling out to him in the garden after, after Adam and Eve had sinned. And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. This is Adam speaking to God. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, or in other words, I was ashamed, because I was naked, so I hid. And I think oftentimes we do the same thing. We may not be walking around naked physically, but we hide from God, don't we, in our fear and shame. And we clothe ourselves in certain ways, thinking that God somehow is mad at us and doesn't love us anymore and can't do anything about it, and He doesn't want anything to do with us. We hide from God in our fear and shame, thinking He's mad at us. We think that He's disappointed in us. We think that He doesn't love us anymore. But I'm here to tell you today, that's not true. God loves you. He loves you so much that He gave His Son to die for you and that Jesus would give and take His shame, your shame upon Himself, his, your sin upon Himself, your punishment He took. That's how much He loves you and me. Sin brings shame. Absolutely. But Jesus came to rescue us from our sin and shame and restore us back to right relationship with God the Father. Amen? Romans 8.1 even says this very emphatically. There is therefore now, there is therefore now that you've made the decision for Jesus and been covered by his blood. Now that you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Since you've made a commitment to serve him and love him and honor him. There is therefore from that moment on no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus this morning? If you are, let me hear you shout, hallelujah. hallelujah. Based on that, there is no condemnation. Do you know where condemnation comes from? It comes from your mind, but it also comes from Satan. Satan will try to condemn you and say, yeah, but you're past. Yeah, but you're shame. You should be, yeah, but that. How many, how many's got a past? Yeah, how many's got a past that you're ashamed of, right? But Satan would say, yeah, you need to stay ashamed of that. But Jesus says, no, there's no condemnation. I'm not condemning you. Stop condemning yourself. Stop letting other people condemn you. Stop letting Satan condemn you. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has, in essence, come with a massively powerful four-wheel drive tow truck and he's pulled us out of the quagmire of sin uh, that we've gotten ourselves into. Thank God for that. <laughs> That's what he did for this ill-prepared groom, in fact. He rescued him from certain shame. And that's what he's done for all of us as well. Amen? When he told his mother that his hour had not yet come, getting to this hour... I believe Jesus was looking ahead to the hour where his ultimate act of sacrifice and rescue 
would be realized for all of humanity. That hour that he took our sin and shame upon himself on the cross of Calvary. And his ultimate hour is going to come when he obliterates sin and death once and for all. At the end of the age. And our shame will be turned into everlasting joy. Isaiah 51.11 says it this way. Those the Lord has rescued, meaning when He comes back and He makes all things new again, those the Lord has rescued, they will enter Zion, or heaven, His heavenly place, with singing and everlasting joy. Say that with me. Everlasting joy. Say it again. Everlasting joy. It's not temporary. It's not limited. It's not going to happen in seasons. It's everlasting. It's continual joy that comes from Him. Everlasting joy will be a crown on your head. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will be drop kicked and flee away. Never to be with us anymore. No more shame, no more regret, no more sorrow, no more condemnation, only peace and joy in Him for all of eternity. How does that sound? How many look forward to that day? Yeah. You know, you can experience that today. Just as the Word was shared just a moment ago, the Lord wants to take our mourning and turn it into dancing. He wants to take our sorrow and turn it into joy. He wants to take our shame and put it under the blood of Jesus once and for all and say, there's no condemnation. Hallelujah. When Satan reminds you of your past, what are you going to do? Remind him of his future, right? Exactly. All right. That's the hour. Let's look at the water. I find it interesting that these massive 20 to 30 gallon stone jars that Jesus used in his first miracle were jars that were used for religious ceremonial cleansing. Oh, there's something so significant to this. They just weren't jars laying around. But they were jars that were specifically used for ceremonial cleansing. What does that mean? Okay, let's talk about that. Let's see what this is all about. The people in his day were obsessed with ceremonial cleansing. They had, what is it, A-D, H-D, what's those letters? When you're, when you're clean like crazy, what's the, O-C-D, that's the one. I knew there's some letters there. O-C-D. They, 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 were the, they were the ultimate OCDers of the religious world with, 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 the, with those people back in those days, religiously. They cleaned their hands constantly. They, were constantly. they were constantly doing it before they ate so nothing unclean would enter their bodies. They were just obsessed with the outward stuff. Now, I'm all for washing hands before we eat. In fact, please wash your hands before you eat, please. And wash your hands if you're going to make food that I'm going to eat. All right? But those days, they, they, had, they held hand washing to a level of, of, of washing away sins. As we do this, our sins are being washed away. Oh, that it would be that easy. You just go out to the bathroom and wash your hands right now and my sins are washed away. That, that's, not how, that's not how that works. But that's what they thought. Outward ceremonial cleansings, though, and outward rituals do nothing to cleanse our hearts. You can do anything you want to to try to live a good life and be all in love with Jesus and do things for Him, but that's not going to cleanse you of your sins. And that's really what Jesus was dealing with with the Pharisees. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, actually, Jesus is talking about this. These are the words of the Lord. He said, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, that were unwashed, defiled, unwashed. You see, the diff- you see how they put that together? And this, then it says, the Pharisees and all of the Jews <clears throat> do not eat <clears throat> unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. Okay, they were clean. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with the defiled hands? And Jesus replied, Isaiah was right. <laughs> When he prophesied about you hypocrites, I mean, I love how Jesus just, he was so subtle. <clears throat> Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachers, their teachings are merely human rules. And then he says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. He just kind of called it as he saw it. Now, by the way, this is an excuse, young people. 
See, Mom, even Jesus said we didn't have to wash our hands before we eat. No, don't do that. That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. In fact, Jesus continued by explaining to the disciples a little bit later in verse 18 of Mark chapter 7. These words, listen to this. He says, nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them. For it doesn't go, for, for it doesn't go into their heart, but it goes into their stomach and then out of the body. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. That's quite a list. He says all these evils come from inside and defile a person. In other words, they come from here out, not here in. Jesus was confronting the Pharisees who were being so diligent to observe the outward man-made religious rituals, but they weren't obeying God's commands. They knew the rules, and they knew the right things to say, but there was no heart connection between the Pharisees and God. Jesus called them out in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 and 28. says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. There is this word again, you hypocrites, meaning you're just faking people out, but you can't fool God. You're like a whitewashed tomb, which looks beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, there's full of bones and of the dead and everything unclean. I mean, you look at a nice coffin somewhere, and you go to a cemetery, and you see a tombstone. It's, you know, it's nice and shiny, but I, I hate to tell you, but six feet under you, there's some decaying, rotten, nasty stuff going on. And that's what Jesus was saying. You may look good right here, but man, you're dying on the inside. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You know, church, Jesus didn't come to create and reinforce religious rules. Aren't you thankful for that? We've got to go through some sort of step-by-step -step process and follow some sort of rules and check off a bunch of boxes. There's no life in religious rituals. There's no life in anything like that. Only in relationship with Jesus can we have true and abundant life. The irony in Jesus changing the water in the, into wine in these ceremonial jars was a huge statement for us today. And listen to this. By Jesus exchanging the water for wine, Jesus was also offering us a swap of our shame for joy in Him. Psalm 30 verse 11 says, You turn my mourning into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. That's what He wants to do in your life today. Are you walking around in shame? He wants to give you joy in place of it. He's offering to swap our uncleanness for His cleanness. Psalm 51, 7 says, clean me with hyssop. What is hyssop? Hyssop is like this type of shrub brush. It's like, you know, a broom that sweeps things away, kind of like that, but it's even tighter. So it's clean, it's like it scours. It's the kind of brush that's scoured back then. It's a, a shrub brush. So he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to take your, your filthy rags and replace them with the robes of righteousness. His righteousness. You know, he's also asking us to swap out this and, and, and to yield the reins of our life to him, to stop being in control and to allow him to guide our lives, to let his authority, his direction, and his purposes in and through us prevail in our lives. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, my life scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways, all your ways, and in all your ways, all your ways acknowledge him. And then he'll guide and direct your steps. In every area that you acknowledge, he'll guide and direct your steps. You go on your own and you're on your own. But if you give him all your steps and your directions, he'll guide and direct your steps. He's offering to swap out our empty religious exercises for true life-giving relationship with him. I was trying to figure out an example of how to give this to you and I, I love this story. You see that paper clip up there? You've heard people making good swaps, trading up. That's what some call it. Keep that paper clip up there for the whole time until I tell you to switch it over, if you would, please. <clears throat> In July of 2005, a gentleman by the name of Kyle McDonald swapped up from that paper clip to something pretty profound, and it took him 14 swaps to do it. You ready? In July of 2005, he traded this paper clip that you're seeing right up there for a fish-shaped pen. Then he traded that fish-shaped pen for a hand-sculpted doorknob. Keeps trading up. 
In July of 2005, again, he traded the doorknob for a Coleman Camp stove with fuel. It's not a bad trade from a paperclip to a Coleman stamp cove with fuel, a camp stove with fuel. In September of that year, he traded that camp stove for a Honda generator. He's a wheeler dealer, isn't he? That's, that's swap number four. Here's number five. In November of that year, he traded the generator for an instant party. Now, this instant party uh, involved an empty keg, an IOU for filling the keg with beer of the bearer's choice, and a neon Budweiser sign. He took that, and in December of that year, he traded that instant party for a ski-doo snowmobile. I guess some dude wanted to party more than he wanted to do a ski-doo. That's a good trade. Within a week after that, he traded the snowmobile for a two-person trip to a place in British Columbia scheduled for February of the next year. So that's trade number seven. And trade number eight, in January of that year, he traded that second spot of that trip for a box truck. A truck. So far, he's gone from a paperclip to a truck in eight trades. You'd think he'd stop there, but he continued. In February of that year, he traded that box truck for a recording contract. Interesting. And then he, in April of that year, he traded the contract for a year's rent in Phoenix, Arizona. All right? Not going to stop there. Trade number 11. In April of that year, 2006, he traded the year's rent in Phoenix for one afternoon with Alice Cooper. To me, that would be a trade down, but hey, that's valuable to some people. Number 12. In May of that year, he traded the afternoon with Cooper for a kiss, the rock band kiss, by the way, K-I-S, the big, you know, kiss, the rock band. It was this motorized snow globe. That, to me, feels like he's Started all the way back at the beginning, but obviously it's a very valuable thing. In trade number 13, he took that snow globe and he traded it to Corbin Benson for a role in a film. Corbin Benson is an actor from L.A. Law and stuff back in the 90s, okay? So somehow this Corbin Benson dude said, man, I want that motorized snow globe. You can have my part in a movie, okay? A little bit part. Finally, on the, four, on the 14th uh, trade, he traded the movie role for this, a two-story farmhouse in Saskatchewan. Fourteen trades from a paperclip to that house. Now, you may look at the house and say, well, that doesn't look like much of a house. It looks a lot better than a paperclip, doesn't it? So let me ask you today, what in your life do you need to trade up with the Lord? What are you doing? What are you believing? What are you placing your hope and trust in that isn't worth the paper that it's printed on? He's offering to take your paper clip and give you a house. You know? he, he's offering to take your water and turn it into wine. He's offering to take your religious works and your temporary worthless things that you're doing in that religious exercise and transform your life by the wine of his blood into something eternal and good. The water represents our works, which will never be enough. It represents religion, which will never bring us life. It represents the outward whitewashed tombs that, will, that, that, that you want everyone to see, but it will bring death. The wine represents the blood of Jesus, who cleanses us from all unrighteousness and restores us back to right relationship with God. It deals with our hearts by renewing us from within in Him, and it brings life. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19 says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. You see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Jesus wants to do a new thing in your life today. He wants to take your old religious baggage, all of your shame, all of the stuff that you've brought into this place today, and he wants to do a new thing. And in fact, it can spring forth right now if you'll just simply say, I want to trade up. I'm ready to trade up. Sounds like an unbelievably impossible exchange, but it's available to you and me today. So it's time to trade up. Amen. It's time to trade up. Amen. It's time to trade up. Amen. So let's look at this feast as we wrap this up here today. Now, when Jesus turned the water into wine, John records the water was taken to the master of the feast for the master's approval. So this is a great detail because it points to Jesus' role one day as the ultimate master of the feast. 
that we will experience with him in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Read it in Revelation. There's many examples of feast in the Bible that describe a picture of life offered by Jesus. But let me just give you one to kind of give you an idea of what this sounds like. This is found in Isaiah 25, 6. This is a feast that Jesus has for you today and for me. He says, on this mountain, or in other words, in heaven, if we can just say in that place that he's prepared for us, Zion, the new creation, that place that he has for us, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all people. There we go back to eating again. But, but it's not just food that we consume, but it's food that gets into our beings. You know, it's the kind of food that he offers us that helps us to grow strong in him. It's that kind of food that he has for us. It's a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. It's just the best of the best. The culmination feast of all feasts will be with Jesus in heaven. He is the master of the feast. Revelation 19.9 says, Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's you and me as the bride of Christ. We're going to be eating one day with Jesus at this magnificent feast. And as the master of ceremonies, the master of the feast, he's going to roll out the most choices of anything that we could ever imagine. Your eye hasn't seen it. Your, eye, your, your mind hasn't imagined it. and had it entered your heart. The things that he has prepared for us. I know that we're living in tumultuous times. And right now, right is being declared as wrong and wrong is being celebrated as right. What once was right side up is now being proclaimed as upside down and vice versa. It doesn't make sense to the, to the spiritual mind, to the, those that are discerning. The holy and righteous moorings of our culture have been severed and the world is drifting out to sea with no moral compass. And a massive storm is on the horizon that is surely going to take it under. But church, bride of Christ, lift up your heads today and look to the hills which come at your help. Your redemption is drawing nigh. Jesus is still in control. He's the master of the feast. He's the ruler of the entire universe. He has a joyous and peaceful feast awaiting for us in heaven one day. I rejoice and look forward to that day. How about you? In these challenging times, we can experience a taste of this joy and peace in Jesus today and tomorrow and for every day until he returns. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Turn to someone and say it with me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. He's brought us to his banqueting table today to enjoy life to the full in him. And even in the midst of your struggle, even in the midst of this upheaval that's going on, knowing that his banner over us is love should be all that matters to us. Now, one more thing about this wedding feast miracle. The master of the feast said, in essence, why did you wait until the end to bring out the good stuff? Here's what I want to ask you this morning. The master of the feast went to the groom and said, why did you wait until the end to bring out the good stuff? Let's not wait, church. Let's not wait until the end of our lives to give our lives to Jesus. Let's not wait until we've expended the best of our years on us and the world before we give that that we have left to Jesus. Let's give the master of the feast our best today. Amen? Let's not give the world our best efforts. Let's not give the world our best years. Let's not give the world our best strength. Let's give Jesus our best today. Let's give him the best of our days. Let's give him the best of our efforts. Let's give him the best of our possessions. Let's give him the best of our abilities. Let's love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength today. Not tomorrow, not next year, but now. The miracle confirmed to his newly minted disciples that Jesus was the Messiah. And only the servants at the water jugs and the disciples knew what had happened. And, and Mary. This first miracle of Jesus... Just a handful of people knew. To the others, it was lost. The rest, of the, the rest of the guests, even the groom himself, thought, well, glad that worked out. 
but it doesn't document in there that anybody, even the servants didn't make a decision for Jesus. It said the disciples believed. Let's not be one of the ones hearing this message today and leave here lost. It was recorded that only disciples believe in Jesus that day, but which one will you be? Will you be the servants who just kind of passed around the jugs and did what was told and walk away going, well, that was weird? Are you going to be one of his disciples today that says, okay, I knew there was something different about him. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the soon coming Messiah. He is the savior of the world. He is the savior of my soul. He is God's son. Place your faith in Jesus today in the best of your years. Trade up to Jesus today. Amen? He's the master of the feast. He's the living water. He can take your shame and sorrow and he can turn it into joy today. Would you stand with me? Bow your heads and let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you've given us some wonderful stories in your word about food and eating and the miracles that were there and the different things that, that happened as a result of this dining with others as you did. Lord, today we've dined with you. We feasted on your word today. We feasted on your Holy Spirit today. Mm, we've enjoyed it. We've tasted today. And we see, Lord, that you are good. But Lord, I pray that if there's people here today that maybe you know, the servants and the disciples and all the guests, they were all part of that wedding celebration, but only the disciples acknowledged Jesus, acknowledged you as Lord. Lord, let that be today that there wouldn't be that there wouldn't be one person in here that would be like the service that would just walk away impressed but not changed or oblivious and enjoying the fruits of the miracle but not changed Lord let us be the group of people that were documented in that story the disciples that said they knew that day that Jesus your Lord let that be today for us that we wouldn't walk out of here thinking, well, we got some years ahead and I'm going to still got some living I want to do and some, some oats that I want to sow, some things I want to experience before I give my life to Jesus. Lord, don't let there be one person that thinks that, that makes that choice today. Lord, let us all make a choice to give you the best of our days today right now the best of our lives the best of all that we are that we won't save the best till last that we will give you our best now and Lord the, the enemy would try to tell us well you can't forgive us Jesus and there's too much shame there's too much stuff but Lord I thank you that you've taken our shame upon yourself you've taken our, your, our sin upon you you've taken our punishment upon you no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, may we all leave this place in Christ Jesus today by making a decision for you. If today, with every eye closed and head bowed, that's you today, and you're saying, Pastor, I, I've heard this story before, and I, I kind of knew this story, but I've never heard it said this way. And the Holy Spirit's speaking to my heart. I know that I've, I've given my best to the world, but today I want to give my best to Jesus going forward. <clears throat> I know that I've come into this place full of shame from my past hurts and experiences and choices that I've made. But today I want to take that shame and convert it to joy. I want to take that shame and, and that there would be no more condemnation in my life from this moment on that, you would, that I would give this to the Lord all of my past. Lord, I, I thank you that, that you're, you're taking our religious rituals and, and, and pushing those aside and that you're taking that water of our works and replacing it with the wine of your blood it's all about relationship Lord there's so many different people that might be you ministering to based on the different examples here today but Holy Spirit you know what's going on so with every eye closed and head bowed I just want to make an invitation all I can do is invite you but I can't I can't save you and I can't make you get saved you have to receive Jesus on your own. You have to make that choice on your own. You have to make that decision for Christ. 
your, your spouse, your parents, nobody else can serve the Lord for you. It's got to be a personal relationship based on a personal decision that you make before the Lord. And I just want to extend the invitation to say, if that's you today, and, and, and you're tired of the shame that you've dragged into this place, you're tired of the religious works that you've, that you've been bound with, you're, 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 you're tired of this, you want to swap this thing out. You want to trade up to Jesus today. The offer is there. You don't have to go 14 steps. It's right here, right now. He'll do it for you. He'll trade what you have for what he has. Gladly. And you can leave here free, whole, new, a new creation in him. If that's you today, lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. Yeah, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. There's three people. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see that fourth hand. Anybody else? I want to trade up to Jesus today. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, I see that hand. That's five. Anybody else? The Holy Spirit's moving in this place today. Trade up to Jesus today. Hallelujah. Anybody at home, lift up your hand right now. That's you too. Thank you, Jesus. Trade up to Jesus today. Let him take your shame. Let him take your sorrow. Let him take your works, your religious works, all that stuff, and trade up to him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good today. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to pray this prayer out loud with me. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that He's risen from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Oh, you're getting ready to trade up. Are you ready? Let's all trade up right now out loud. Say, Jesus, I trade up to you. Forgive me of my sins. Take my shame and my punishment upon yourself and wash me clean in your blood. Remove from me all unrighteousness and robe me now in your righteousness. I thank you, Jesus, that I'm now saved. I'm born again. I've traded up. I'm a child of God. My past is in the past. There is no condemnation from this moment on. I'm born again. And I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. And all God's people said amen. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today. Now, Holy Spirit, fill us. We need to be empowered by you. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us. Empower us, Lord God, to go out from this place and be the church that you called us to be. Lord Jesus, that we would realize others are walking in shame. They need that shame being under the blood of Jesus. They need that shame to be transferred to joy. That, that, that bond is, Lord God, that they can be freed from that and, and that there's no condemnation in their life as well. We know people like that. Take us to them, Lord God, and help us to share this good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Hallelujah. We love you and thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Father, help us to rejoice in you as we leave this place until we meet again next Sunday. Hallelujah. And glory to your name. And all God's people said amen. And all God's people said amen. And all God's people said amen. 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 Amen.